Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daruk people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangata Whenua of Te Whanganuiatara, where I'm recording today. <sighs> what a week it's been. I know. Welcome to the pod. Congratulations on making it. We've survived. Technology could not beat us. No, it always tries, but it doesn't quite defeat us. I'm just blaming just the good. rain today. It's just enough rain. Yeah, it's raining here too, and it's very windy, so that doesn't help. It's always windy and rainy there. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> very true. <laughs> But it's unfair because I've got such bad hay fever today and I'm like, if it's raining, I shouldn't be having hay fever. Those two things should not co- coexist. I feel like in physics, it should work that the pollen attaches to the water droplets and then gets washed away and doesn't still float around in the air. Yeah, fall to the ground and stay there. Right? Like the pollen Don't come up not... my nostril. Yeah, we shouldn't be having attacks. <sighs> I feel you. Mm. I, I went outside for a park play with a friend um smudge the dog and smudge his mom and i got eight mosquito bites in the 45 minutes i was sitting in the park in the morning i was like what that's a night thing what are they doing <laughs> i know i was so annoyed i had to go and take a claritine i was like i'm just fine fine antihistamines at 10 a.m <sighs> sure frustrating how was your film that you saw last night because it's a film festival right now isn't it yes so i went to see the eyes of tammy faye with my friend hannah and Ooh. some of her friends which was really good jessica chastain and it's all about tammy faye who is a big evangelical kind of tv preacher situation you know how they do that yeah, yeah. america does that weird thing um <laughs> yeah and then it was a scandal and the fallout of that so it was fascinating because i didn't know anything about it but yeah jessica chastain was amazing in it got Andrew Garfield in it it was really good like crazy like bonkers but Mm. yeah I very much enjoyed it and then we went for tacos and wine afterwards so you can't go wrong they looked amazing in your Instagram stories Mm. the place does the most amazing corn chips like they were so good because we got corn chips salsa and guac to start and it was just so good oh my gosh I'm gonna make homemade salsa tonight I think fair enough just need something something comforting well speaking of comforting did you have a moment of wonder this week I did. Uh, so it's it's currently the end of November, toward the end of November, and that means in Sydney anyway, it's jacaranda season and they are everywhere. Mm. And I think a lot of Sydney natives really don't like them. People think that they're like, oh, all of the, because the flowers drop and then they get really gunky when it rains and they turn brown. But I still love them. And I love the moment when the flowers all start dropping on my back garden. So you have this purple carpet and then like you can't walk around barefoot because the bees are in there. So Mm. it's just a couple weeks a year. And every time we get jacaranda blossoms, I just like walk around the suburb and complete and total all because the flame trees are in bloom as well right now. So you'll turn a corner and there will be purple, purple, bright red, orange, purple. So it's really beautiful. And I don't know, it just makes me happy to see them and my best friend in eighth grade, her cousin grew up in Johannesburg and wrote mm-hmm. her a letter one time and said, I'm, si- I'm sitting on a rooftop and all you can see for miles around are jacaranda blossoms. The whole city is carpeted in purple. And so when I got here to Sydney, I was like, we have those? I'd always wanted to see it. And now I get to see it every spring. So it makes me so happy. Yeah, I was going to say it's such a big part of my childhood as well, like mm. jacaranda season when you'd come over the hill and it'd just be like in Pretoria and Johannesburg, just so much of it, like just streets and streets of jacarandas. So yeah. I, I've very fond of them too. Um, how about you? Did you have a moment of wonder? Um, I did. It's a bit silly, but um, I decided to poll my colleagues and my friends as a result on um, their first kiss experiences. Ah! <laughs> because I was reading this book and I had this like this YA book, which was all about, you know, feelings and first kisses and stuff. And as I was reading it, I'm like, hang on a second. I don't remember my first kiss. And is that weird? Is that not a thing? What is going on? I must know. So I, of course, immediately texted you and some mm-hmm. of my other friends and I polled all my work colleagues I'm like do you remember your first kiss and then you know I had a hypothesis as to why maybe some of us didn't remember it um, but I needed a bigger sample size so I started an Instagram poll and people were so engaged with this whole experience like yeah. I have heard so many great stories from people telling me about their first kisses like they didn't have to all I wanted to know was do you remember it yes or no but everyone's been like sliding into my DMs to talk about it <laughs> Yeah, everyone's just like been telling me all about their first kisses. And then as a follow up to that, I wanted to know if people remembered how many people they've kissed. So I've had like all this kiss discourse over the last couple of days. And it's just been really fun. It's like PG fun. So yeah, it's been good. There were a lot of people who didn't remember their first kiss, judging by your poll results. 
I think we got 17% of the 60 or so people who responded. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're a small number. And I thought maybe there was a correlation between that and not remembering how many people you kissed as well. But actually, it turned out that most people didn't remember how many people they kissed. So that was like, okay, way to refute my scientific process. I only remember because my number is so small. <laughs> Like, I'm not kidding. I met my husband when I was super young and we immediately kind of both knew that it was our person. So I didn't really have all of my 20s like most people do to just go out and meet people and pash them and then disappear. <laughs> like, I would have done that if I had been single. Yeah. I was a child bride. You were a child bride. A beautiful <laughs> child bride. It's 24. <laughs> I also wonder if it's not like how you grew up because my my mom got married really young so I was always yeah. under the impression that like the first person I fell in love with would probably be who I would get married because it happened to my parents the first person they both fell in love with they married and they've been married for like 850 years so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so I wonder if that's part of like a factor as well yeah I'm not sure I don't know <laughs> Further analysis required. One of my friends messaged me to tell me his first kiss story. And then he was like, I think you need to swap from quantitative to qualitative. I think that's where oh. your real strength in this research would be. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. Um, and then my other friend was like, we should be talking about people's other first times. I'm like, I don't know. I think that might be a bit too personally invasive for like office chat. But, you know, I wouldn't put it up as a poll at work. Yeah. What brought me joy was just how engaged people were with it because everyone was like really into it for no real reason because I didn't explain why I was doing it I was just asking this question I love it and I'm so jealous you got all of these great stories mm. now you can be the good art friend in mine I was just thinking maybe I should write a book about first kisses can you imagine how much fun the research would be you just get to listen to people go back in time and be excited by stuff an anthology of first kiss stories yeah well, um, this week we're reading chapters 35 through 39 through the theme of hesitation. Um, do you have a story for us? I do. But first, I just want to give a shout out to uh, the poem that you shared with me at the start of the year, which is Don't Hesitate by Mary Yay. Oliver with the great, delightful line, Joy is not made to be a crumb. I was thinking of that too. Yeah, I was just like, we need to revisit that because I remember at the start of the year, I was like, this was going to be my thing for 2021. This was going to be my motto. And I shared it with everyone and it was such a delight. So yeah, nice little throwback. I think you've done really well with that. Mm. Like you've really embraced everything and just gone for it. It has been good. And joy is not made to be a crumb, no. so always good to remember. It's the whole cake, baby. So I was thinking about hesitation and how often it kind of feels like a negative thing to hesitate. Mm -hmm. You know, it's painted as like a negative thing. But I think there is actually a positive spin you can put on hesitation. And that's about learning to pause before you react, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's sometimes good to hesitate. Sometimes it's the right thing to take a moment and go, oh my gosh, you know, before you just jump in. So I guess I just have to say my dad is... <laughs> a lovely man but he has a temper issue which I have inherited as well yeah we just have like fiery tempers and we're like not great at the emotional regulation and this is something that I noticed about myself quite young and it's something that I knew about my dad and that everyone knows about my dad and so it's something that always bothered me I was like am I when I grow up Am I going to have the similar issues that my dad has with his like temper issues and his anger issues and things like that? And I didn't yeah. really understand why. And I've spoken to him about it at the time as well. I'm like, why do you react the way that you do? Why is this what happens when you become upset? Like, why does this happen? And he didn't know. He couldn't give me an answer. And he mm -hmm. just like, it's just something that happens. And I remember when I was a teenager and I started having similar reactions to things. And, you know, when you're like, when I'm upset, for example, once when I was studying, I put a highlighter through the wall of my bedroom because I was so angry and I threw it and it went through the wall. So that's the oh, sort of oh thing gosh. that I'm talking about. <laughs> I remember that moment so vividly because I yeah. sat there being like, why have I done this? Like, there's no reason for me to have reacted this strongly to this emotion that is an emotion of frustration and anger at nothing. Mm. And that this was my reaction. And I just couldn't understand why I had done what I'd done. And so I spent a lot of time trying to puzzle that out. And one of the things that I learned in therapy, obviously, is that sometimes, you know, you have that base reaction, but you need to just take a breath before you actually respond. You need to just like pause and go... What do I actually want to do? Like, what is this actually calling me to do? And that's a moment of hesitation where you go, okay, so this is what my gut instinct is saying. I'm going to react like this, but I'm going to hesitate and just reassess where I'm at with that to ensure that I'm actually behaving in the way that I want to behave rather than just like this weird impulse, I guess, which is, I guess, where the emotional regulation comes in because you're learning to like manage your responses. Yeah. So when I was thinking about hesitation, that's what came up for me. It's learning to pause so that you can react the way that you want to react. That you can take control of a situation in the way that you want to rather than just being at the mercy of external influences. 
I like that. I also had the same talk with my therapist about just like taking the breath and identifying the emotion and then making the action afterwards. Mm. Oh, that one was a hard one because you think like, why didn't someone just teach me to do this when I was a ratty kid? <laughs> like I needed someone to teach me that then. Yeah, it's weird. Hey, it's like, I don't know how some people just seem to know it without being taught. <sighs> I don't know. My daughter won't react like that with other people, but with me, she will get mad. Mm. So it's almost like with the people she knows she's safe and loved, she can be a bit more of a rat bag. Mm. But I definitely see if other people are unkind to her, she just like buries it really quickly and doesn't process it and doesn't feel it. Mm. Um, in which case I get mad on her behalf because how dare you? My daughter is perfect and amazing and wonderful. Yeah, she is. <laughs> <laughs> she's so great. <laughs> it fascinates me. It just... Because, I don't know, sometimes I experience emotions, and especially anger, because I do have a short temper. And it's just like a hot flush, right? It starts at the top of my head and it just washes through my entire body and mm. I can feel it like a physical thing. And that's the, that's the danger zone. That's where I have to go, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> because my instinct is just to go absolutely feral. But that doesn't really solve any problems. And it doesn't feel good afterward, does it? Like No, you, you feel terrible. That's the one thing that really got me, because I used to have quite a temper as well. And the one thing that really stopped me was that I don't ever feel better when I'm done. I just feel worse and ashamed of myself. Yeah. And that lasts a lot longer than that, like 10 seconds of incandescent rage. And then if I am incandescent with rage and I am flipping over a table, not that I've ever done that, but I mean, I kind of want to. (laughs) We've all had the urge. You then have to clean up afterwards as Mm -hmm. well, which is terrible. So that's just another terrible thing. It's all a learning journey. But one I'm very grateful for. Like, it's a skill that I'm very grateful to have now. Yeah, absolutely. Because I can feel so much more in control of myself. So, yeah, shout out to Hesitation. I'm proud of you. I think you're great. Thank you. (laughs) Very kind. Shall I do our section summary? Yes, please. All right. So, Gansey is determined to prevent Caveswater falling to Welk. Adam's life reaches a tipping point, partly thanks to Ronan. Neve contacts Welk with an offer of alliance of sorts. Adam and Gansey fight about principles. Blue, finding Monmouth Manufacturing empty, takes a phone call from Mallory that makes Gansey even more self-pitying. But Blue likes him a little better this way. Hmm. Um, I found a lot of hesitation and also, because I always look for the inverse, I found a lot of people not hesitating. Mm. And I think the biggest argument of the section is when Gansey and Adam are arguing about whether or not to take action. Mm. Like This is the main conflict. Adam is going, we don't have time. And Gansey's going, we're not going to mess around with this until we know more. So one is arguing for hesitation, Gansey, and the other is arguing for action. Um, Adam. So that was kind of where I landed on like the main theme. How about you? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, I saw a lot of instances where maybe someone should have hesitated, <laughs> predominantly in the the fight that Gansey and Adam have in the car. Yeah, that was hard. Because they both probably could have benefited from a little bit of hesitation in that. Yeah. But the thing that I love in this section, which would surprise you not at all, is just Ronan coming through as the real MVP and doing what I desperately wanted to do. Yes. And I I think that there's a lot of hesitation there. And I actually was reading this thinking of you the whole time because Adam is kind of dragging his feet getting out of Ronan's car, right? He's hesitating. Yes, absolutely. He knows it's going to be bad. He can see he's... He's got that sense that all kids who are abused have where, like, they can tell when their parents are going to go off. And he knows his dad's going to go off. So he knows it's going to be bad. And and he doesn't really want to go in, but it's worse the longer he waits. Mm. And Ronan kind of knows this, too. And he's sort of, like, not really letting him go. But in the end, what both of them are so good at doing for each other is letting each other make their own choices. So he doesn't try and stop him. Like, Gansey would have said, you don't have to go in or you can come home with me. Ronan Mm -hmm. just lets him go. But then, also, Ronan sees that something bad is going down and hesitates and then he stops and comes back yeah he doesn't just let it happen oh i have goosebumps thinking about it it's so good that whole chapter is actually incredible so because the very first thing that ronan says to open that chapter is the buck stops here which is like it's you know you're absolving yourself of responsibility in a way he's absolving himself of like this is where it ends right like i am not taking responsibility for anything that ends after this but also kind of absolving adam of responsibility yeah you know this is just the situation they're in but as you're saying you know adam is hesitating getting out of the car and Ronan lets him like he drags out this conversation they have that whole little chat and it goes on for longer than it needs to they talk about Gansey they connect over Gansey being superficially competent (laughs) and I actually love that Adam says you know a good thing you taught Gansey that hook 
Because, of course, we know that Ronan has offered to teach Adam mm. how to fight and Adam has not taken it up. And then we see Ronan coming in and saving Adam in this situation. I don't know. It just, like, really, really gets to me. Like, this whole section really gets to me. And then Adam's hesitation about telling the police, right? So he sees Ronan getting put in the car and he has that whole thought process. Like, he knows everything will change if he actually tells the police what happens, but he can't have Ronan go to jail for him. Yeah. And this, I think this is a really important pivot for him. He's mad because he's thinking of what Gansey said, where Gansey's like, you're not going to leave because of your pride. And he's angry about that because it isn't about pride. It's about leaving on his own terms. Yeah. But he also isn't willing to let Ronan miss out on something. Like he knows he would get expelled from school if he were really Mm. arrested. So he has to say something. And he picks Ronan there. And that's the thing that really gets me is that he could have kept going. He could have, like Ronan would have been okay. Ronan was fine with that. Ronan would have taken that Mm -hmm. punch. He would have he would have taken the consequences of that and been okay. But Adam couldn't let that he couldn't live yeah. with himself if he let that happen. And so he yeah. he picked Ronan in order to save Ronan. And Ronan kind of didn't even intend to, but he ended up saving Adam. Yeah. And I mean, and then Ronan Ronan picks Adam in turn when he goes to the library to study and suddenly he's like really committed. Like he does that for Adam. He doesn't do that for anyone else. He's motivated by this debt he has to Adam now. It frustrates me so much that Adam is still in this place being like on my terms or not at all because like how does he not see that this is doing it on his terms? He Mm. has made a choice. He has made a choice and he chose Ronan. You know, it just makes me so sad. It kills me. The idea that I have about Adam being inflexible is that I really believe he had this idea in his head, like he had this process he was going to go through where he just had to survive, but he needed to graduate and get accepted to university. And he needed to be able to rub it in his dad's face that he did all of that without him, but he just had to survive. Like he really wanted to be like, I'm out of here and I did all of this without you. But now he can't do that because he's been robbed of that opportunity. So he's really raw Mm. about that. And I think, you know, that's reflected in how absolutely how broken he feels. Like we see it multiple times in this chapter, how he talks about how something fundamentally has been shaken loose inside of him. You know, he's just the light's gone out of him on all levels. Right. He's just a broken, broken boy. Because he's literally like struggling to stay conscious and struggling to stay upright because his balance is all off kilter Mm. and he's not really able to understand what's going on because he hit his head really hard. Yeah, he's got a concussion. Nothing about what his dad did to him is very visible, but it all is very permanent. And also the way his father talks to him, right? How he says to him, oh, you're just pretending you fell down on your own. Yeah. He's playing the conversation he and his mom have over and over again where she's like, it was a little your fault, right? Just say you fell down. Like, we'll deal with it as a family. And he's had this conversation with her so many times, but he can't do it this time. He can't just say, it's not a problem this time. He won't Mm. let Ronan go to jail for that. And there's no hesitation from Ronan just wading into this fight. Like once he turns that car around, he is in it completely. He's the true ride or die. Yeah, violence is not the answer. (laughs) I mean, it's not, but also putting yourself in between someone more more vulnerable and their attacker when you know you can handle it that's kind of that's that's not exactly brave i think ronan's such a good fighter he wasn't worried about himself getting hurt and he loves a fight i think that as well i think he's actually he probably thought i can win this fight i'm just gonna weigh in there (laughs) i want to do this Mm -hmm. and i love when adam's dad is like what do you want and he's like to do this and he just clocks him like that is amazing (laughs) i love it so much This is the thing. Sometimes you show your love by like doing things for people. And sometimes you show your love for people by beating the crap out of their abusive dad. Love language is different for everyone. (laughs) I guess Ronan's love language is casual violence, but that's okay. I'm so into it. (laughs) It's okay in fiction. Um, To go back to Adam's complete brokenness, right? That's why the fight that he has with Gansey almost immediately afterwards is so horrible. Because Gansey makes the comment that it's somehow worse because you can't physically see what's wrong with him, right? Page 348, this was the hardest thing to internalize, that something permanent but invisible had happened. And what really gets me here is that the first thing Gansey says to him when he gets in the car, like Adam has been through this horrifically traumatic thing. Mm. And Gansey says to him, they said you didn't have insurance. I just think that's such a massive trigger for Adam. Yeah. Gansey should just not have said anything. You could have just said nothing. It would have been better. Yeah. And it, it probably would have been. Less than a day ago, Gansey was held at gunpoint too. Yeah, no, I totally get that. Yeah. Nobody's really in a position to be helping each other out right now they all need no. parents like decent parents I just want to go in there and be like alright you two separate rooms right now I feel like Adam is kind of picking the fight as well like he's spoiling oh, for a fight because 100%. he's out of control like to exert control he wants to fight and who's there to fight he can fight Gansey but then Gansey whew, 
He goes real hard. He does. I think he finally loses his temper, which mm. he's needed to do for a while. I wish he hadn't picked this moment to do it, but he was right to say what he said to Adam, which was, I'm sick of tiptoeing around your principles. Because we, I've said that before, too, that Adam needs to get over himself. This is an ownership. What I see Gansey is standing there doing is like he showed up. He took him to the hospital or picked him up from the hospital or both. He definitely was there to pick him up. He takes care of it financially because that means nothing to him, but mm. it just makes Adam's life so much easier. And then Adam's like, you own me now. You win. And Gansey's like, there is nothing about this situation that I wanted to happen. I'm glad you're out yeah. of your house now, but if you think for a second that I wanted you to leave broken, bruised, and battered, you are delusional. And Adam is really just spoiling for a fight. And I think he's just trying to, like you said, regain control, but lash out at Gansey mm. because Gansey seems to have it all together in a way that Adam just can't. And sometimes you hurt the people you think can take it, right? You know, this person has got everything together, so if I'm mean to them, they can handle it. And you have to remember that everyone is fighting their own battles. Yeah. When Gansey says to him, it's not the end of the world, I'm like, but it is the end of the It is actually at the end of Adam's world. So that is fair enough when Adam comes back and says it is the end of the world. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, it kind of makes me feel very ill. Yeah, I think Gansey forgets that, you know, he's lived alone, independent of his parents for a really long time. Mm. Like he's had that independence and he hasn't really ever questioned it. He doesn't mm. have to be home by a certain time or do anything. Like his, you know, his dad expects him to get good grades and behave himself becomingly, but that's it. They're not there on the day-to-day, on-the-ground parenting stakes. Like the Gansies are not there. Whereas Adam has been at his house with just his two parents for his whole life. That is a long time and that is a huge adjustment. Even when you want to be out of your house, leaving is hard. Mm. So Gansey isn't really getting that, but it wasn't right of Adam to accuse him of trying to make him feel stupid because I don't think that was the case at all. No. That was just Adam hitting it the soft parts of Gansey. And he doesn't hesitate either. Like, this is the thing. Adam no. knows exactly what to say to be the nastiest version of himself. Yeah. And it's just not great. He he literally pushed Gansey into saying the worst thing and then was offended that Gansey said the worst thing. And I'm like, yeah, this is not how you should yeah. be relating. And then you can see the damage that's kind of inflicted through that because then they have that second kind of argument about acting, right? Yeah. Adam says, I don't know how you can live with yourself because the trust is fundamentally broken between them now. But what really gets me as well is how Gansey just seems to not understand what he means to Adam and Ronan and it like drives me nuts because, you know, we had Blue observing in a previous section that whatever Gansey is to them, it's bulletproof. But Gansey yeah. doesn't see that. No. He just doesn't see it at all. It's like trying to touch your right elbow with your right hand. Like it's too close. You just can't reach it. He's too mm. in that relationship to see how much it actually matters to them. Which pulls back to our you know, overarching theme of connection mm, because mm-hmm. you have this connection between all these boys and they just can't see it and can't figure it out. That was a really hard one for me when Gansey was sitting there just absolutely crushed by it, just feeling like he was doing for and giving for and wanting more from these relationships. And there's not really, like, I'll go into it when I talk about my in-depth marginalia, but that, like, when he comes back in and he immediately puts a smile on his face for Blue and she's like, if I hadn't seen his face before, I would have been convinced. But, like, mm. he doesn't really let that miserable face out for anybody. Not for Adam, not for Ronan. Blue's the Mm. only person who's really observed it and seen it. When she calls him out for being self-pitying, but she's like, I actually like it. Yeah, it's really cute. (laughs) sweet. Crushed and broken, just like women like him. (laughs) I like that he's still got a sense of humor even when he's feeling terrible. Or gancy. There's a little bit of hesitation in the beginning of the section with the women of 300 Foxway. Like, Neve hesitates mm-hmm. at saying what she's really doing. I mean, she says that, you know, she doesn't want to be hurt. She, she says that she didn't tell Maura she wanted to play around with the ley line because she didn't want to get hurt and it calls attention to herself. But I really think that that's a distraction from the fact that she's quite ambitious and she wants that power. And then I also think that Maura's hesitation to talk about Blue's dad wasn't some sort of, like, obscuring of facts, like Blue's accusing her of it, but because when, you know, Maura says, I never said I didn't really know him, Maura replied, voice hollow. She's actually really feeling a lot about it. And I mean, I have to say this to myself a lot and to other parents, but like you don't owe your kids your life story. Mm. And you can have relationships that your kids don't know about or understand. Do you, you know, you, like they're your kids and they don't need to know the full details of everything you've ever done in your life. Like that's just not necessary. And I think that Maura's kind of gotten into the habit of not going back to that painful place. Mm. So she's hesitated to sort of open that up again around blue because what would it actually do what would it serve what would it help 
Yeah, that's a really good point. I thought it was interesting in that section that there's like no hesitation in Neve when she talks about the ley line being woken up, right? And she mm. gets Persephone to back her up and they're both like, yeah, no, it's definitely going to happen. And then also the lack of hesitation with Neve and Mora when it comes up about calling the police on Cape's water. Yeah. They're both like immediately, no, no you can't do, do it. that, right? <laughs> yeah. So it made me think of holy spaces and tourism, right? Because I've definitely been, especially when I went to Bali, and there are a lot of temples, a lot of like sacred spaces that are just so overrun with people Mm. so they are so busy and so touristy and you would think that these are amazing kind of amazing places like they're carved out into the mountain like just actually incredible and you can see how it would be amazing if it wasn't also overrun with 300 western tourists which sounds really trite but there is something in that and I think there is something in the dilution of the magic of places through sheer numbers I'm gonna agree with you on that because when we were in Paris I don't think you were with us on the day that we went to see Sacre-Cœur. Oh, yeah. But it was like you had to queue to get in and you walked around the whole thing and like you weren't allowed to take pictures, but basically just file in, go around the altar and file back. And like there were so many people Mm. and it was just full of people and all of these people were taking pictures even though you're not supposed to. And I just remember feeling like it doesn't feel like a church should. And then I contrast that with when we went to Klandaf Cathedral which was not the same scale, obviously, but it is a really beautiful cathedral and quite old. And how that actually did feel a lot more holy and sacred because there were only a few of us there. I think it was me and Chris and Mel and maybe another couple. Mm. But we were able to sort of poke around and look at things and it was still open to people to go in, but it did feel a lot more holy just because it wasn't quite so commercial. I think it's about the space and the time, right? So if you're just one in a queue and you're being rushed and you can't spend the time in the place, then it's hard to feel that kind of magic of it. But if you have the room to breathe, yeah. It's like you need to listen to the space. Yeah, exactly. This is why I like museums in different countries so much. And graveyards. No one rushes you through a graveyard. No. You can take the time you need to take. Hmm. Something about observation observing like you would observe a religion it takes time and it takes care you can't just rush through it which is why i also think often you have really spiritual experiences or like magical experiences in nature because you aren't hemmed in so there's more room to breathe you've got more of that sense of scale i guess perspective feel more connected to the earth that way Mm. you're out in it so yeah i agree with neve and mora don't let the police in yeah i love that gandhi (laughs) is clear about what he wants even though he knows it's not going to happen he's like well i don't want to think about him at all i didn't say it was realistic but I just that's what I would like I'm like I get you I thought it was interesting when Gansey was relaying his experience with Welk that he mentioned that he didn't have a plan mm. and I wondered is that a form of hesitation from Welk like he doesn't really know what he wants to do he knows he wants to do something but he doesn't know what or how so we see that again when he's at the um, gas station later right like he's just whiling away so is that I thought that was a lack of hesitation like if he had been thinking it through he would have hesitated and not stopped Gansey then or kidnapped him as he c- ponders later yeah, yeah, like he's thinking of all the things he could have done. If he'd hesitated, he could have thought it through more, right? Mm. I think it was the impulsiveness, it was the lack of hesitation that's really hamstrung him. He did, I think, hesitate when that phone was ringing and he like went, Yeah. he's like, I'm not prone to philanthropy, but then he like goes and throws all of his rubbish away and then he gets up and throws some more little bits of food away as well. And I'm like, this is a lot of not littering for a guy who's not prone to philanthropy and like answers the phone anyway i was like mm, he was waiting for something and neve hasn't told anyone else that she's doing this of course not why would she tell anybody she might have to share the power that she gets from it if she does that i just think again how hard it is like you know they're psychics like surely persephone should know what neve is up to so like she should just know that how can you surprise a psychic i think they know that it's gonna be adam but they don't mm. know how but they know it's going to be Adam. I think that's why yeah. Persephone hides her mouth with the mug is because she doesn't want to give away that she knows exactly who's going to wake the line. I thought it was interesting that we've got that line about Adam on page 342. He was eyes without a body because I thought that was really clear foreshadowing that what we'll see later yeah. with Cape's water. Yeah, yeah. And oh, the bit about his father knocking something crucial askew and literally like his balance yeah. being affected because he's deaf in one ear now. Like, oh my gosh. Yes, something critical has been knocked askew. And if we're going like into the trauma aspect of it, it happened a long time before this fight. Earlier. Yeah. Yeah. But he helps to make tea like a good Weasley. <laughs> I know, I did notice that. My thought was like, is that Southern manners? Because 
Hmm. My parents are of Southern descent. My mom's mom's from like Oklahoma and my mom's dad's from New Mexico. And my dad was actually born in Arkansas. So like there are a lot of things like you don't turn up empty handed, like you bring something with you. Mm. Um, And like for the longest time when I was growing up, our front door was unlocked and sometimes we'd just come home and one of my mom's best friends would be just sitting in the living room waiting for my mom to get back from wherever she'd been. (laughs) Like so this, this sort of like you're at home in other people's homes and... Like, making yourself useful to be a good guest. All of that felt like, oh, yeah, that's totally normal for Adam to be doing. But, yeah, I like that he was like, I will be helpful because then they they won't not need me. I will be helpful. Love that there wasn't really hesitation there Mm. either, you know, even though he doesn't know where anything is. Like, often I find in situations I will hesitate to help because I'm like, oh, but I don't, I'll just have to ask, where are the mugs? Where is the tea? Where is the sugar? Where is the milk? And it's sometimes just easier not to get involved. Oh, yeah. But I always feel bad when people come in like, how can I help? And I'm like, my kitchen is so small. I'm so sorry. Please just stand at the door and talk to me. I'm the I'm like, it's too hard to explain to you yeah. how to help. Just stand Keep there. Keep me company. That's all I want. I'm happy to do all of the work, but just keep me company. And if I need you, I'll call you in. Mm. My first therapist told me that because I was always like, ah, I don't want people to bring stuff. I feel really weird. Like I haven't provided enough. And she's like, ask people to bring flowers. And so now that's what I do. If I need to take something to a friend's house, I take flowers. Lovely. I'd like to talk about Blue and Noah a little bit, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. I think that Noah did not hesitate at all to trust Blue. And I'm wondering if it's because she's a source of energy or if it's because she, he just knows that she's trustworthy. Yeah, it's interesting because he's getting something from her, right? Like, so she makes him feel better. Mm-hmm. So therefore he trusts her. Like, if someone makes you feel good, then you're more likely to trust them, right? I think so. But also Noah's existence is circular, right? He trusts Blue because he trusts Blue. Yeah, it's already borne out in his mind lovely. that he could. Yeah, he's already seen the evidence of it. I just liked it. I also like that she trusts his intuition. Now that she knows he's a ghost, mm. she's like, oh, he said answer the phone. I better answer the phone. Like she runs up and does it because he yeah. tells her to. I also love that she doesn't hesitate interrupting Mallory because we've seen Gansey just listening to Mallory like for minutes. hours. Is he just like, <laughs> yeah. And she's like, great, let's just skip ahead basically. And I'm yes. just, I love that. <laughs> Blue doesn't put up with this nonsense, whereas Gansey is much more likely to just let it run its course. And probably because she grew up with all those psychics and everyone's always talking about things. She's like, okay, just get to the point. Yeah. <laughs> I love that Noah connecting with Blue physically will actually strengthen him. Like, I love that her powers that she can make a ghost corporeal. It's cool. It's nice that she can actually see her magic working. Yeah, that it has a tangible outcome because it's never been tangible to her, right? It's always been, oh, I make other people stronger. But here, she's seeing a physical ramification. She touches the shoulder and he can open the door like he's able to yeah. get the door open and also those moments where it describes like the relief on his face and stuff when she touches him yeah. and just how he feels more of himself even though he keeps saying that he's i wasn't like this when i was alive and he said in this section you know i, I was worse yeah he thinks he was worse and he might have been well if he was friends with welk good lord yeah i mean look just based on the way that welk describes him i've always thought that he was just kind of outside of the social norm you know like he didn't seem like a guy who ran in a crowd he wasn't popular like Gansey or hostile but attractive like Ronan or or you know a definite outsider like Adam he just sort of slid along Mm. that's how I felt about the journey as we you know saw him through Welk's eyes like Welk liked having a little stooge so that's why he had yeah journey but it's the millhouse to his bot yeah yeah but I think he's got his own identity now that he's been part of these raven boys you know it's different it's better it's worse because he's a ghost yeah because Gansey's one of those people like being friends with him gives you space to be yourself like he doesn't really ask anything else of you he Mm. just gives you space to be who you are if Gansey's picked you then you're worthy of being picked I thought it was a nice point of connection when Adam and Ronan were like talking about what if Gansey had died and Ronan uh, Adam sort of remembered a life pre-Gansey and he talks about how he was sitting on the steps of the double wide crying or fighting back tears. Yeah. He needs to cry. Which is so vulnerable for him. He, he really does. He really does. He keeps not crying, yeah. but he actually needs to cry. I think it would help him a lot to cry. Because then it's done and you've had your cry and you can have your drink of water and lie down and everything feels much more manageable. Better out than in. Exactly. You can have a nap and you'll feel better. You can eat some food. You'll feel better. Those are your three things. Cry, have a nap, have some food. Have a shower. That's mm. the other one. Adam just needs... To not worry about himself so much and not worry about being self-made because it's a, it's not a real thing. Being self-made it's is a fallacy. not a real thing. Yeah. And he just needs like a hug. I know. When last did Adam have a hug? Who has hugged this boy? I think the closest is like Blue sitting next to him in the Camaro. Yeah. Like that kind of little touches. How do you know if that's like attraction because you're attracted to somebody or if you're just touch starved, you know? Like it's really easy to confuse yeah. the two when you don't get any other affection. Yeah, absolutely. 
that first touch when you haven't been touched for a while you do get like a kind of like a spark of it it's a bit like you know that spark of attraction Mm -hmm. as well when you really like someone you know when you feel that little tingle because I remember when I first moved to Wellington and I didn't you know I didn't know anyone I wasn't really close to anyone I don't really like being touched that much I'm not like massively physically affectionate but I went to the hairdresser and that was probably the first time someone had touched me in months. Mm. And like the first, like just the brush of a hand against my cheek was like electric because I hadn't been touched by anyone for so long. That is a foreign concept to me. I think I go like maybe two, three hours a day without being touched. Max. Because <laughs> you live in the puppy pile. because yes, I live in a puppy <laughs> pile. I do remember when I was visiting Chris in Cardiff and it had been like three or four days and I was really missing the babies, like having the babies. And I was like, mm. Mel, I just need to look after you for a minute. Like you're my kid. And she was like, okay. So I like tucked her in and gave her a kiss on her forehead and smoothed her hair back. And I'm like, I feel better now. And she's like, that was weird, but okay. And I was like, you just saved me. Like I was totally struggling not having done the momming because you do get used to a certain level of like just physical intimacy with people especially when you have kids yeah. especially when your kids are like sensory monsters like mine are yeah it's also just about comfort levels with certain people right oh, absolutely. like you grow into it yeah like I've got some friends that I will cuddle now like we have little cuddle sessions and stuff and that's great and then you have other friends you would never ever touch because like, <laughs> they're no, like no touching there's a force field that's okay <laughs> yeah I think Adam does need mm. the puppy pile. I think he needs friends that he can connect with physically, that it's not a thing. It's not an expectation. I don't know how to say it. It's not it. going to take from him, you know? So many men I know just don't have a lot of friendly contact with people outside of their partners, and it's so sad. Yeah. Biologically, your body just wants to cuddle, I think. Even if you don't love it, sometimes you do need it. Adam yeah. needs a puppy pile. Just any kind of comfort and safety, you know, because that's what he's lacking. He doesn't really know what it is. I think that's why he, he rails against Gansey so much because he can't understand. He doesn't know. He can't recognize that kindness. He can't recognize that comfort, that safety. He just doesn't know because he's always at high alert. What's the catch? Yeah. Yeah. What do you get from this? Like he's thinking, you know, what do you need to hear? Like he's that's the conversation he's having in his head when someone's offering him something. He's like, what does this person need to hear? Like he does with his dad. It's very transactional or like mitigational, not send and receive mm. death to robert Parrish. he wins the bad dad award absolutely um i was thinking about connection in terms of adam connecting gansey's privilege with the desire to make adam feel smaller and worse but i don't mm. think that that's what gansey's doing and no. i just wanted to flag that like gansey doesn't think about how he sounds because he he really wants to trust that these people care about him without looking at the exterior and it's really hard for him when he keeps butting up against this like how am I being condescending like you know me but it comes from insecurity from the person right they see what they think they see they don't see the real thing I only really found one crush watch which was blue leaning over Gansey and then Gansey immediately like moving to the other side of the bed when he was like no don't want to do this (laughs) Adam's already said he wants to date this girl so I'm not gonna be there and he's already mad at me (laughs) he already hates me so like let's not make it worse um, I did think there was a lot of Ronan and Adam simpatico stuff this chapter. Yeah. Like they were saying things in unison. Yes. And like, I love that description of them, you know, not at a fight at the moment and both too startled by the days of Insta start a new one. Because this <laughs> idea that they're always fighting is like they're always in each other's business. Yeah. Fighting because they can't admit all of the other real feelings. And then, of course, Ronan like charging into start like into this fight for Adam. It's very romantic. <laughs> I mean, it's, it really is, it's, like, in a messed up way. It's super messed up. But at a point, you know, Adam doesn't want anybody interfering with his life. But it's okay that Ronan has done this because Ronan is just a violent person who can't control his impulses. Quote, unquote, <laughs> right? Like, Gansey would try and do this in a more sensible way. Like, okay, we'll find you somewhere to live. And, like, this is okay. Like, we'll find something. Like, he would do it the proper cautious way. But Ronan, no hesitation, just gets right in there. Scorched earth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and salt it behind him right so nothing will grow Mm. Adam just has a lot more forgiveness for Ronan because he doesn't actually hold him as accountable like he really holds Gansey accountable for Ronan's actions too he even says the only person Mm. who could stop Ronan now Adam's mother didn't have the number for well Ronan could stop Ronan and Adam could have stopped him if he'd said stop if he'd said Ronan no more Ronan probably would have respected that but he didn't say that no it's like he absolves Ronan of like, it's like, oh, Ronan can't control his own impulses. But at the same time, he said to Declan, you know, the only person who can make this decision is Ronan yeah. because Adam is just a mess of contradictions. He is the two of swords entirely. He's both or neither and none and all. 
Um, on the animal comparisons, I, you know, there was a couple of instances of Ronan snarling away, as he does. Mm. But I, we obviously had a very clear um, Adam as an animal this time when there's that line on page 340 where it says, grabbing Adam's collar, he pulled his son up as easy as he'd lift a dog. Yeah, so sad, right? Like he is just this yeah. dependent creature to his dad. I just want to call out one bit of random marginalia, which oh, yes. is... Blue is in Monmouth and the boys arrive and she says to Gansey, page 360, you seem upset. And he goes, do I? He's asked, <laughs> which reminds me so vividly of the Goblet of Fire film when they're walking down to the second task and Harry's saying to Neville, like, where is Ron and Hermione? And he's like, you seem a little tense, Harry. And he says, do I? And it's such a great moment of Dan Rad comedic timing. I love Dan Rad. Do I? Dan Rad for well. I think time. he could play a great well. He's unhinged, right? Oh, is he a bit short? Why do I feel like, well, because quite tall. I was complaining about our lack of tall actors to my mate today because I'm like, we've been trying to fan cast this book and do you know how impossible it is to find tall actors? Mm -hmm. It is very difficult. I do like the faces that I've like found so far. I don't have a definitive list, but I've been agreeing with a lot of fan casts I've seen. Fair. But I promised you I wouldn't keep you up talking about them anymore. No, just have them during the day, <laughs> not at night when I'm trying to go to bed. Um, did you have any tangential marginalia? Yeah, um, I do. There was a lot of Blue and Gansey crush watch, just the little bits, but I liked how in the very beginning at 300 Fox Way, after he'd, you know, just gotten out of the hospital and he's like, please get my bracelet off. Like he's being very gallant and deliberate about it, but he was obviously really rattled and he'd put his glasses on, which is like a big vulnerability for him. He usually wears his contacts. On page 332, it says, though Blue would never tell him she preferred this Gansey to the wind-tossed, effortlessly handsome one. And then I wrote, compared to page 361, question Broken, Gansy said, just the way women like him, where he's making fun of himself for Blue saying, like, well, I like you a little bit better this way when you're a, a, a bit down and out. So I really love that. Hmm. I also like how Noah was the one to get Blue up to speed on everything that had happened. Like, he tells her about Adam's dad, he tells her about Ronan and why Ronan is studying. And there's a, a line I thought was really good, page 355. Her first thought was a strangely unpleasant one, that she hadn't been a good enough friend for Adam to share this with her, but it was fleeting and replaced almost immediately with the horrific realization that Adam had no family. Who would she be with hers. Mm. I, lo I love that she immediately went, oh, that hurts. But also her empathy then kicked in and she was like, but he doesn't have a family, which is worse. Yeah. And then the bit with Ronan looking at Blue and Gansey as they're like arranged and saying, <laughs> if you spit Blue, it'll land right in his eye. <laughs> Just such a Ronan thing to see. <laughs> just makes me laugh every time such a random observation thanks ronan um did you have any other tangential marginalia uh i just want on page 332 when they're talking about blue's dad and gansey says his name wasn't really buttoned up was it to adam <laughs> which i just cracks me up like anything could like, be i just possible. love that <laughs> just having that conversation but also um when adam talks about not hearing and he says pain hissed inside his skull like when he first gets hit mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i thought that was quite an interesting parallel because we've heard about hissing before with welk and the voices that he hears from caves water so i you know like adam's ear hissing voices caves water it all just came together for me and later does he have in one of the other books doesn't he actually start hearing something in his deaf ear yeah I think when he they're does. in one of the caves yeah um, and then Welk saying no one would miss a kid born in a trailer, which is just straight up evil. A lot of people would miss him. This is horrible. Like, Welk has been teaching him for, like, ages, and he still goes, oh, no one will miss him. That's just not true. Like, it's just, Welk is just such a horrible person. No, he really is, and he's got this horribleness baked into him where he just assumes that these things are true. Like, he doesn't look at himself as somebody who got unlucky with, with his parents not having money, but he's like, oh, no, I'm now reduced. Like I've said many times, he could have gone mm. to school and done finance and become great at making money, illegally or legally, yeah. and climbed back up to where he was at before. Yeah. But he chose not but no, to. Because he's so hard done by. Mm -hmm. He enjoys the martyrdom. Gross. Um, do you have in-depth marginalia? I do. All right. So my in-depth marginalia is on page 351. And it is, in the end, he was nobody to Adam. He was nobody to Ronan. Adam spit his words back at him and Ronan squandered however many second chances he gave him. Gansey was just a guy with a lot of stuff and a hole inside him that chewed away more of his heart every year. So the context here is Gansey and Adam are fighting in the car and Adam has just stormed off after they've had this terrible exchange. Gansey feels terrible about it. And now he's sitting in, this car, in his car. He's having this moment of hesitation, I guess, as he um, contemplates what has happened before he chases after mm. Adam. So yeah, I think there is hesitation in this because he's pausing before acting which goes back to our theme but I think there's also the hesitation and the doubt he feels in the relationship with his friends yeah. right like he's 
pausing to think about what am I to these people, which then draws onto our bigger theme of connection because he feels like that's being tested, like there's nothing really holding them together. Yeah. For some reason, this immediately reminded me of an episode of Queer Eye where um, Karamo mentioned that his grandmother always used to say, give me my flowers now, not later, which is an expression I really love. Um, it drives me nuts that Gansey thinks he means so little to Adam and Ronan because like to them, it's bulletproof what they have and they need to tell him that. They need to give him his flowers now, not when he's gone. Yeah basically um when he's lost to them but yeah just like man up guys but anyway the actual reason i chose this marginalia is because it actually just really cuts me really deeply i think there's nothing worse than feeling like you're not important to the people you love and like they only have time for you because of what you give to them yeah. so i used to feel like this all the time and as a result i would overcommit i would give too much of myself to others and i would you know i would spend money on people that i didn't really have and i do all these things because you know if i wasn't doing something for someone else they wouldn't like me or not even like me they wouldn't miss me that's the thing people wouldn't miss me if I was gone if I didn't do these things and I think for people who struggle with self-worth it's a lie that you tell yourself because you can't stand your own company so why would anyone else willingly spend time with you really so you have to give them a reason so this is something that I really work hard on in therapy and it's such a demoralizing narrative to unpick but I think you know, I got there and I don't do that anymore. But sometimes you, I still catch myself on the verge of overcommitting or going too far. And I have to reel it mm. in and really interrogate. What am I trying to achieve with this behavior, right? Like, am I, do, am I only going to do this because I'm worried that this person won't like me if I don't do it? Because that's not a real thing. That is something that I'm projecting. Yeah. That is not actually true. Um, you know, am I doing it because I want to generate a particular response? So, yeah, it's a, an ongoing learning experience. But what it actually calls me to do is just to tell people that I love them you know, all the time and why I love them. I don't want to play games or read between the lines. I just want to be upfront and give them their flowers now, not later when it's too late. Like they can appreciate it now. So it's something that I already do, but it's just important to stay in the habit and tell the people I love that I love Aww. them. So, yeah. Well, I love you. Well, I love you. Yay. Emotional vulnerability is good, people. Don't assume you know what people are thinking about you because you're probably wrong. Absolutely. Rule number one. <laughs> I used to really worry about that too. I mean, I still do in some ways, but I think that one of the reasons I love Gansey so much is because he's such a good person and he tries so hard, and yet he's still so insecure in his relationships. And I just want to be like, they love you. It's okay. Yeah. I want to reassure him. Just have to learn to not project, I think is key. Yeah. But not anyway. assume that other people are malicious when they're just bumbling along, trying their best and maybe failing in the communication aspect. That's the kindest thing we can really do, right? Is just assume that everyone's trying their best and we don't really know what's going on with them. But, you know, I trust that they're doing their best. Exactly. Everybody really is doing their best. Sometimes it just falls really short of what we need. And that's just how it is. Did you have in-depth marginalia? I do. So mine is on page 358. Gansey was first into the room, and he clearly hadn't expected to find anyone there because his features hadn't been arranged at all to disguise his misery. When he saw Blue, he immediately managed to pull a cordial smile from somewhere, and it was so very convincing. She had seen his face just a second before, but even having seen his expression, it was hard to remind herself that the smile was false. So the context is, Gansey has just had this awful fight with Adam. He's living in this true misery that he doesn't really think his two best friends love him the way that mm. he loves him. He goes upstairs having gone with Adam to retrieve Adam's stuff with Adam not talking to him and thinking that Adam thinks less of him and it really bothers him. He sees Blue and he just hasn't arranged his face quite yet. So I think it's great because Blue gets to see a moment of vulnerability. But then he rallies almost convincingly enough, but Blue doesn't really let it slide. Like she then pushes the issue like, okay, what happened? Mm. Talk to me about it. I think it relates to the themes in that it's a point of opportunity for a deeper connection. Like Blue does push it a bit. She wants to know what's going on. She tells him about the phone call from Mallory. And even though she hesitates about whether or not to tell him how much the other guy was injured. When Gansey asks, she does tell him. Like, she hesitates because she's mm -hmm. trying to protect him, but she also knows that she would want to know, so she tells him. And I love that because it's like, it deepens their connection and the, the honesty they have with each other and the fact that she's able to see him when he's vulnerable is great. Um... And I've also said this before, uh, but I do think that he's more himself around Blue than he is around the other two, mm. uh, which is a big bit of foreshadowing. Um, and <laughs> what it reminds me of in real life is masking. So masking is something that a lot of neurodivergent people do. It's usually connected to autism, but I think that it 
can be an ADHD thing, or maybe I'm just undiagnosed autistic, but I definitely mask and it is exhausting. A lot of the things when I mask is like, I have to reduce my fidgeting and stimming to like sort of invisible fidgeting stimming. I also Mm -hmm. like follow a social script if I don't know what to say. So if you meet me and I say like the same five things each time, that's because I have a script and it usually works. And Mm -hmm. like, this is just how I am surviving as a neurodivergent person in a world that is not neurodivergence friendly. So the first thing I thought about when Gansey like slips and then he puts the smile back on his face and he's like perfectly polite and cordial is that, oh my gosh, he's really good at masking. (laughs) So I just really Mm. like that Blue makes it okay for him to be himself and she even likes him a little better that way. So what it made me really think of in terms of going forward is it's really nice. It's such a relief when you get to be with someone who's like at home. You don't have to mask. They love you anyway. You can stim or be Mm. weird or just blurt out the thing and you don't have to use your scripts and you can let your face make whatever expressions it makes and it's fine because they love you and it's great and I think my goal is to be that person for my friends and family who are neurodivergent and also like to really appreciate the people that I can be myself around because it can be really hard when you're Mm. out being social and you have to look or be a certain way just want to appreciate the people that love me and love them who need it I was Yeah, it's funny because I was having this exact conversation earlier today about how when you can just be with someone or you just allow people to be their whole selves, yeah. even if some of that is not attractive or some of that is not good behavior. Like if someone's really mean, maybe, and you're like, I don't really like mean people, but I love you. Yeah. And so I accept this part of you, even though I wish that you would work on it or yeah, something, yeah. you know, like that's what love is. It's like accepting someone for their whole yeah, being. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that was lovely. Thanks. So, I, yeah, I just had a little moment of like, oh, that's a thing. That's a thing I know a lot about. <laughs> that's what it felt mm. like to me. It read like masking. Well, do you have a character you'd like to spotlight today? It'll shock you, <laughs> but I'm going to spotlight Ronan Lynch today Amazing. because I'm sorry. He is the MVP of this section for me. I just, all my love to this boy, just going in there all guns blazing, standing up for what he believes in. Lord knows he's probably wanted to do this for a very long time, so he was raring to go. But Absolutely. You know, sometimes you do have to just get involved and fight other people's battles for them. So Look, sometimes I love that he does that. Being the outsider and defending the person who needs defending is an effective way of doing it. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't yeah. advise getting into a fist fight because I'd be a terrible fighter, but yeah. I mean, I personally have had a habit of getting involved in altercations where I had no business getting involved in because people were bullying other people or stuff like that and I would just step in. I appreciate this impulse in Ronan yeah. and it's aspirational to me and part of the reason that I took up boxing because I'm like, well, at least Ronan can defend himself, <laughs> but one day I'm going to get into serious trouble. So, yay. Yes, learn how to land a punch and then you're like, all right, I can step up now. That's good. Ideally would never do it, but, you know, it's good to be prepared. Exactly. Just say, um, who are you spotlighting this I week? would like to spotlight Adam. I feel like he's had a really, really, really rough time. And I don't think it excuses the fact that he's lashed out at Gansey, but I completely mm. see where he's coming from. I say a lot that I'm very similar to Adam. Um, and the truth is I was never as pragmatic. Like I never tried to push my emotions down, but I still acted in a lot of the same ways. The fallacy of Adam is that he thinks he's being rational when he's really just mm. stunted emotionally. Um, but he just needs a hug and he needs parents that care and do the right thing. I can't imagine feeling that unsupported in the world and it's so hard and as a parent myself too I'm like no one's looking out for this kid someone needs to be looking out for this kid he deserves to be looked out for so just a mom hug to you Adam you need it and Mm. I hope that you apologize to Gansey when you get your bearings and realize that he's not trying to make you feel bad yeah well next week we're going to be reading chapters 40 through 44 through the theme of sanctuary which is pretty exciting cool love that and we had a little talk about churches even so it kind of like dovetails nicely yeah, sanctuary. And um, yeah, definitely a lot of action in the next I few. know, it's going to be great. I'm really excited to... <laughs> Steamro- steamrolling towards the end, which, you know, it always comes so quickly. Well, the chapters I'm are so surprised. short at the end. I was like, this one's a page. Mm. Oh, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> More to talk about. Exactly. All right, well, I will see you next week. Yeah, lovely to see Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at www.marginaliapod.com.